Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Uh, if you want uh, your heating and air needs, you need to call our friends at Blue Water Climate Control at 865-299-2290. Check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or on Twitter at blueh2o underscore climate. Whatever your needs are, they can service those needs in the heating and air department. If you just need a tune-up for your heating unit, if you're having an issue with this cold weather coming through and you need to get them out there, you can book an appointment online. They'll send a serviceman out to uh, service your unit, look and see what you need, make any repair that you need. They'll do it the right way the first time. That's Blue Water Climate Control. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. Plenty to get to on this Tuesday edition of the podcast. And uh, Rob, let's start first with a little hoops. Chances Tennessee uh, plays basketball next week. You feeling pretty uh, good about on, this thing? Yeah, based on conversations I've, I've had today, I think they good chance they'll play next Wednesday night. I think there are a couple of different programs they're talking to. Um, UT Martin is the one I heard is the, the biggest possibility. Um, I think for Wednesday, um, the possibility that they work ETSU in somewhere. I don't know when that would be, but um, I mean, they're not, they're not even practicing right now. They don't get back on the practice court until Friday for, for the first time. Rick comes out of quarantine tomorrow. So, uh, but since all this went down last, what was it Monday that, the only thing the guys have been able to do is um, shoot for one hour a day in the, in the uh, practice facility. So you miss four games, you miss two weeks of practice right here when everybody else is, is getting rolling. I mean, I'm not, I don't act like it's some insurmountable obstacle, but it is far less than ideal for a team that was going to have three completely new guys and Keon, Jaden and Anasiki played big roles. Are they, obviously the hope was to pick up one of those games Wednesday. Is there still hope they could pick up three more in the month of December? Or is that I don't think they could, a task? I don't think they could pick up three more with, um, you know, conference play starting on December 28th. But uh, I, I could certainly see them adding one or two more in addition to the, um, the one we're talking about next Wednesday night. And from a health standpoint, this is the, the, the issue has been administratively coaching staff wise, more so than with, with players yeah, right? behind behind the scenes foot stuff. And, and there may have been a player return a positive. I don't know that for sure, but I know that multiple, you know, support staff administrators have that are around the program every day um, have tested positive and pretty much would, would just one exception, very, very, very mild symptoms like Rick, I think the worst thing he reported was a headache and, and a little bit of a cough. And, and the so, one exception is not dire. It just, you know, somebody who did have some. Some more significant symptoms. Yeah. Well, and so the hope is that this team can return uh, to uh, the practice floor this weekend and get themselves ready to play with a potential game on Wednesday night and then turn around and play Cincinnati uh, on Saturday, uh, which would obviously be a, a very intriguing matchup as there's a lot of interest from a lot of people about wanting to see this basketball team. So uh, we'll hopefully get to see them um, on the floor this time next week and, and getting ready to kick off their season and get things started there. So that's the latest in basketball. Let's jump to football. Austin, I'll start with you in recruiting. Obviously, the Terrence Lewis news on Monday night of the decommitment, second decommitment from the state of Florida. Uh, the question we got in the chat, the question you hear from a lot of people is this two isolated things? Is the wheels coming off this thing? What do you what do you make of the the, the Terrence Lewis decommitment? Obviously, a very high profile player with a lot of ranking, and when Tennessee got a commitment from him, it drew a lot of attention. So it's no surprise the defense the decommitment drew a lot of attention nationally as well. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, you know, again, I, 
ranking wise, as far as like, you know, the, um, I guess the, the, the flash of, of, of the commitment ranking, those type of things, um, you know, it, it's a loss. Now, again, I, I said this in the chat and I truly mean it. He's not one of the top two players in this class committed. I don't believe that. I don't think you believe that. I think he's a good player, but I think Terrence Lewis, who's had some off the field issues, um, it, it could equally be, I mean, I told you, I think he could be Ray Lewis and he could be J.J. Peterson. Like, I, I, I think that it's boom or bust for him. I, I, I think he's that kind of player. I think if he, if he, if he hit on him, he's a guy that's an all-SEC player. Um, and so I don't think you really know. I, I think the bigger loss is Demarius McGee. Tennessee's going to fight like crazy to get both those guys back in. Lewis called Tennessee still his top school when he tweeted it out. Um, you know, so I, I give Tennessee at least a 50-50 shot, much like they had with Tyon Evans. I don't think this one is one that is is, is dead and gone, um, and, and neither do I think McGee is either. The longer that McGee goes, I think the better Tennessee's chances are, and I think there's a good chance that he doesn't do anything until February. If that's the case, then I think Tennessee will have every bit of chance to get him back in the boat, um, you know, and so – um, that's kind of where I am with these two D commitments. I, I think that right now they're isolated, but when other kids see it, you wonder if they start look in the back of their mind thinking, Hmm, wonder what's happening. What did they do it for? You know, maybe I should do it. Cause I mean, how many, how much of this is a copycat thing? Kids commit to schools because teams are hot and it's, it's the right thing. They can easily decommit when things are going the opposite direction. So uh, like I said in the chat, I think that Dylan Brooks is, by far the most important player in this class. And, uh, you know, if Tennessee holds on to him, then then everything is okay. AP, I saw that post. I was surprised you left Cody Brown off that. Is that just because of tie-on? Well, I, you know, I, I went tie-on over Cody because I know where the staff feels. Like, I think he, they feel like the tie-on's further along in his development. I mean, tie-on's also two years older. He should be further along in his development. And, uh, but, I mean, Tennessee's still high on both guys. And, you know, I, I just put – tie on above Cody because I, I know that's, you know, the staff really coveted tie on getting him back in the class when they, when they lost him for a brief moment there, it was a blow. Um, and so to get him back in, they were super excited. I got a couple more recruiting questions I'll get to in just a second, but I, I want to throw this out there as well. The, the Lewis is to the Lewis decommitment's not a shock because he's flirted with schools throughout the fall, late summer, fall. I me mean, when, you know, there's a school of the day seemingly on Twitter with him, but, Rob, it's interesting for kids decommitting, and not just to Tennessee, but kids around the country decommitting right now. It's an interesting time frame. You, you almost think that if a kid is decommitting at this point, that he's got a he's got a destination. He better have a destination in place because, you know, with the old Apollo 13 line, the earth's getting bigger in the window, that you're running out of dates here, you're running out of time, you can't take visits. You better have an idea of what you're going to do when you decommit right now, shouldn't you, Rob? That's what I would think. I mean, because of the reason you just mentioned, I mean, you're not taking a visit anywhere. You're not having a coach come into your home. So, you know, what new information are you, are you gathering, you know, unless it's a team that, you know, finished second when you made the commitment the first time that you already have a relationship with the coaching staff. You've already been, you know, on campus for visits, you know, last fall or, or in those few weekends where they had junior days before everything got shut down in March. So, I mean, that, I don't know, obviously AP has more insight into those two specific cases, but when you're talking generally, yeah, I would agree with you. If you're decommitting, you know, a couple of weeks before early signing day and you're not going to have a chance to take a visit, I think you probably have an idea about what you want to do. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that notion at all. I mean, you know, I think Demarius McGee, you know, if in his his notion would be to go to LSU. Um, Miami's trying there, but I think it'd be LSU. But again, if he doesn't do anything on the 16th or the first signing wave, then you know I think Tennessee's chances of getting him back in this class are are, are fairly solid. Um, he's not taking any visits, Brent. Ever again. This is the casualty of being a guy that kind of was a late bloomer that added all these offers, got all this interest in the year of COVID where you can't take visits. I mean, you can go, but it's not the same. Like, you know, Ty Simpson will be here this weekend. He'll watch the game. But it's not the same as going to the complex, hanging out in there in the coach's office, picking Cheney's brain, drawing plays on the board, going to Jeremy's office, having your hour meet and greet with the head coach like you do at all places. I mean, the kid went to Clemson last weekend and then drove home and did a Zoom call with Dabo and Streeter. I mean, like, he was literally 30 or 50 yards from those guys when he was in the stadium, and then he had to drive all the way back to West Tennessee to do a Zoom call with them because he couldn't meet with them in person. Like, that – That while, again, it's better than nothing, you know, it's still very hard. Do yeah, we know I, if Dabo pointed at him while he was in the sands? Do we know that, he, AP? He did not do that. No, but we know Dabo probably talked about some other schools that that Ty that Ty might be considering because Dabo seems to like to talk about everybody else these days um, and has an opinion on everybody else. That that's certainly the case that seems to be with him right now. Uh, with with Terrence Lewis, is that Miami? I mean, we heard the Nebraska stuff, and then Miami didn't want him early on. Uh, AP, do you think that's Honestly, Miami? I, I, I would lean Miami, but I I really don't know. I think gotcha. this kid is kind of opening things back up to see what's out there. And then if nothing's out there, then I think he ends up back at Tennessee. Uh, that, that, that's that's kind of my feel. All but, right, let's you know, go ahead. Uh, let, let's again, the, the, the public the, the public perception is because sure. he said decommitment in his tweet. You know, it doesn't matter that he said Tennessee's still my top school. Right. The, the public perception is the Vols lost five-star Terrence Lewis – you know, because that's, you know, Bruce Feldman, you know, who has a lot of followers. He tweets that out there. You know, if, if Tennessee loses three-star Jordan Mosley, <laughs> Bruce Feldman don't care. But because they lost Terrence Lewis and he's a five-star by some, then it's a bigger deal. And so the perception is out there now that Tennessee lost two guys in a matter of days. And uh, you just wonder if that has any kind of effect on anybody else. All right. Let me ask you quickly about um, Nylon Green and Travali Price. Uh, two guys that you have mentioned and, and that you have talked about um, in, in the war room. But let, let's start first with, with Nylon Green. We, we keep hearing November, November, November. It's no longer November. Is this is, is a decision coming, or is this just going to be a signing day thing with him? Well, yeah, the kid's the one that said November, November, November. Right. And then last week, I even said then, like, it, I know that, you know, he wanted to wait till the end of his senior season. Well, his senior season ended Friday night. So if he didn't do it Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, it was going to be not November anymore. So we're now into December. And, uh, you know, so we're, I, I think that in a perfect world, something happens late this week. Now, okay. again, this is the same kid that was going to put out a top five for seemingly three or four months before he finally got and put out the top five. You know, I, I, the longer it goes, the more you just feel like it waits till the 16th. I think if it gets out of this weekend, he's waiting till the end. Okay. 
Georgia. I, I said in the chat, it's Tennessee and Georgia. Georgia. I know Clemson feels confident. I don't believe Clemson is a factor. I think this is Tennessee and the Dogs. And again, if you're way in between those two schools, they all follow the same other recruits. They see other corners decommitted, Terrence Lewis decommitted. I just wonder what kind of effect it has on a guy like Nylon Green, who's legitimately weighing his options between Tennessee and a Georgia team that's a top 10 team that is 45 minutes away. All right, let's talk Trevally Price. Is that real? Or is that or is that is that pipe dream wishful hoping for Tennessee? I don't think I think it's real. Um, okay. I think, you know, if I was a betting man, I would still lean NC State because NC State's had a good year. Are they seven and three right now? You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> they've had a really good year. Desi sitting at two and five. You know, I mean, like again, if you just put them on paper, and I know NC State's program traditionally is not what Tennessee's is, but defensive linemen have been drafted out of there, several of them, over the last several years. Hi. Yes. And so that – I think that's a sales pitch. Now, was Tennessee late to the party with offering the brother? Yeah, they could have offered him earlier, but I don't blame him. I mean, like, listen, you and I did the Jaden Tate thing over there. I mean, you know, and, and I like the kid. He, he's 5'10", 220 pounds, 230 maybe. I mean, he's not very big, you know. I mean, he's a fullback. Right. You know, I know he, you know, he's talked with Eric Kane. Eric Kane's going to have a story up on him later today. And, uh, you know, <laughs> then he says Tennessee's talking to him about defensive line. Sure they are. I, I still think that if he if he ended up here, he'd be a fullback. And we'll probably play more fullback than he ever would on the defensive line. Yeah, I would agree with that. Your body type-wise, I mean, he, he's not built like an SEC defensive lineman. That's just – that's not a knock on the kid. It's just from a physical standpoint, you stand there and, and talk to him and – and visit with him, and you don't go, hey, that's an SEC, or that's a that, – you don't even say that's a power five defensive lineman. I think if he went to NC State, he, he would – that's where he goes. I think he'll well, play yeah, more I mean, like people have side. talked about – people were like – I saw threads last week talking about, oh, I'm sure, you know, if we take Trevally Price and Jaden Tate, Tate will end up being the better player because that's what happens at Tennessee. And somebody said, no, this is more like the Derrick Rogers-Nash Nance deal. No, Nash Nance could have went and played at smaller programs and been a starter somewhere, like like, you know – he go into Kennesaw State and been a starter. You know, I think Jaden Tate's limited in his size to be able to play at any level. I mean, like, again, when you're 5'10 and you're 230 pounds, are you not limited in a lot of, in a lot of positions to play at, you know, any kind of real football at the college level? I think you are. So Tennessee has two decommits in, in, a, in a week's time. Uh, there's plenty of talk out there about, you know, coaching candidates. Where's everything with, with Jeremy Pruitt and this, that, and the other. I, Rob, I'm not a big believer in the old vote of confidence, public announcements and statements and all those things. But if you're Tennessee's administration, do you have to consider that this thing is to the point where, particularly if things don't go well Saturday against Florida, who's going to be a three-touchdown favorite at home, that you have to go somewhere in that direction and, and, and make some kind of statement if, if your plan is to keep Jeremy Pruitt? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to, but I think I would. I mean, if I knew I was bringing him back, if I knew that I wasn't eating whatever, you know, $16 million worth of buyouts for, for Jeremy and his staff, I mean, if I knew that, given all the noise out there right now, 
the very obvious and understandable fan discontent. Yes, I, I think someone with Coach Former's, especially someone with Coach Former's standing with his fan base, I would do that. And, you know, kind of give some reasons why I was doing that. Young freshman class, special circumstances of the season because of the virus, you know, all that kind of thing. But I think that would be beneficial at this point. You think for recruiting that's needed, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a fine line because you don't know what happens the next three weeks. Right. You know, I, I think that, that that's that's such a fine line. And, and again, you know, I think – And look, that, it, it rings hollow for some, doesn't it? Well, sure it does because you know, you know as I do that there's been a guy like Nick Saban who said, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm not going to Alabama. And then he went to Alabama. And then there have been plenty of ADs that went out there and said, my guy is fine. And the next week he was out. I mean, like that, you know, it, so it does ring hollow. But, you know, I do think it's a fine line to walk because you don't know what happens in the next few weeks. Let's say Tennessee loses to Florida by three touchdowns, but then beats A&M. Uh, again, A&M is a good team. They're not a great team. But let's say they beat A&M and beat Bandy, and they finish four and six. You look at missed opportunities, a year that got away, you can kind of sell that a little better. But what if Tennessee were to lose all three? You know, I mean, so much could happen, right? You know, over the next three weeks and, and how it all plays out. And man, I, I mean, I know fans don't want to hear this, but Coach Fulmer is in the building. He knows just what a blank show August was, in, you know, in terms of practice, preseason practice, in terms of the limitations they were under. I mean, he has an intimate feel for that. And I, and I think that will be a factor in this as well. I, but the, the, the devil's advocate to that, to Rob would be the fact that, you know, everybody else is going through the same thing. Yeah, but do we know that, you know, Kentucky had 40 guys at practice at any point in time? Mississippi State, I, took four, Mississippi State took 49 to Athens, Georgia, and played the Bulldogs within seven. Sure, but I mean – You know, I mean, there are plenty of instances. Again, I, we talked about this the other day. Tennessee's five-game losing streak at this point is not because of COVID – but COVID has had an impact on it. You know, again, Wanya and Cade having 42 days of contact tracing has an impact on both those guys, right, wrong, or indifferent. Multiple freshmen having 28 days of contact tracing to me has a far greater impact than the 42 days that Cade has had because, again, Cade's played a lot of ball, easier for him to step in and play. But, don't, I mean, don't think that for a minute that that's not had an impact. Look at Trey Smith. When you take practice away from a kid, how many games did it take him last year before he kind of started to look like Trey Smith of old? It was about halfway through the year. I was going to say second half of the season. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you start taking away 40 days, 28 days. I mean, it's hard not to think that that doesn't have an impact, especially for some young guys, whether it be freshmen, redshirt freshmen, or even sophomores that are still trying to, you know, get their feet underneath them a little bit. And I'm not saying wipe the slate clean because of that. Right. My point being, I think that will matter to, to Philip Fulmer because of how much knowledge he has and what, you know, seeing firsthand what, what practice looked like those first three or four weeks. Yeah. Again, I, I, I think I'm with you, Rob. I think Jeremy is back in 2021. But how the next three weeks go, you never know what one or two, three money people go. I've seen enough. And they're just, and they make a call. That happens. So, again, that's why these next three weeks are important, you know. And, I mean, like, 
Tennessee really needs that Vanderbilt game to go off. I mean, Vanderbilt, a team that looked like they were starting to turn the corner, playing Kentucky 38-35, playing Florida close for at least a half, then goes to Missouri and gets beat 41 to nothing. Yeah, they know sure. And and yeah, and Tennessee needs a win. no matter who it's against, that they need a win. There's no there's no doubt about that. Rob Austin made a point in the chat, and he and I've talked about this and uh, a little bit just in casual conversations. And the point he made was things would look different for Jeremy Pruitt right now if post Kentucky after the JG second quarter meltdown, if this program would have said, We're going Harrison Bailey. Completely agree. Could not agree more. You, you agree with that notion totally. that, that the fan that the fans even if they had lost all these games, that the fans feeling towards Jeremy Pruitt and the direction of the program would be different, even if even if Harrison Bailey was struggling as a freshman. I think I mean if you polled fans and I mean not just you know the hardcore types on the on the generals quarters, but just you know, season ticket holders in general, I think that's been their biggest source of frustration. This whole season, you know, I'm tired of number two, man. They're just yeah. tired of him. They've got Guarantano fatigue, and I mean, I hate it for the kid. I mean, I think we can all agree he's a conscientious, hard worker, you know, good teammate, guy that you know, teammates respect. But fans, you know, the people that are footing the bill for this program have been over it, and and I I could I could not agree more with AP. I mean, I, I, that is totally my stance as well. It's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it is an interesting thought process because, you know, Austin, you, you made the point in a conversation we were talking about, you feel like with the plan that they went to Arkansas with to try to win, the plan they took to Auburn to try to win, that Harrison Bailey could have played that plan, you know, from start to finish. Um, and, and they still may not have won, but, but again, would have been in the situation to have a chance. Most fans would have, if Tennessee was sitting there at two and five and, and, and Harrison has played every game post-Kentucky, most fans would say, that's okay. There's some learning curve as a freshman quarterback. It, you know, it, we're going to give Coach Pruitt a pass. Now, there's going to be a portion of the fan base that would still be mad. There's a portion of this fan base that if Tennessee was undefeated right now, they'd find reason to fault. Or that being any fan base. That's not just a Tennessee thing. I mean, yeah. fans. Hover, you know, I thought you could remember in AP2 in the 90s when Tennessee was rolling. I mean, how many people were – we're calling it to talk radio criticizing David, David Cutcliffe's play calling or Chiefs defense when Tennessee was winning 10, 11 games a year. Or all that Philip Fulmer did on the sideline was clap his hands when something bad happened. You know, they wanted him to yell at somebody. They wanted him to, you know, to snap on somebody. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's the case that, that fans, you know, there's always going to be something for unrest. But, but, but your point, Austin, is that the, the vast majority of people would, would have said, hey, they made a they made a commitment for the future, and and they made it. They made a, a hard line decision, in you know, in, in going with Bailey that that would have benefited Jeremy Pruitt much better than the decisions he's well, made. You're, you're going to find out Saturday, because this is not a great Florida defense. You're going to find out Saturday how important a veteran quarterback is for, you know changing the blocking schemes at the line and the running game, all those type things. Because if Tennessee rolls out there and they can't run it, is that because Florida figured them out or is that because Jared actually would be able to check them into the right run situations at times um, on things? I think you're going to find out a lot Saturday, you know, about, you know, how important number two was in things that weren't throwing the football. 
this is a Florida team that gives up about 140 yards a game on the ground. So, Rob, they're not dominant on the ground. And, and you will learn some things from how, how well he can manage the game and how well does Tennessee help him manage the game, you know, him being Harrison Bailey with a lot of check with me stuff at the line of scrimmage. I mean, it felt like in that Arkansas game that they were helping Jared out with a lot of the, with a lot of the play calling at the line of scrimmage. But maybe that's not the case. But that's certainly what it felt like with the way that they managed that game. I think the other thing you have to do here, and this gives you an opportunity. Look, if you're going to stay in this game, Rob, you got to you got to ugly it up. You mm-hmm. got to limit. You got to limit possessions. You got to milk the clock. Which which is the opposite of what a guy like Ty Simpson wants to see on Saturday. He wants to see some ball plays drawn up and them not to be so vanilla and ball controlish. I think you have have a talk with Ty Simpson on. <laughs> on Thursday and say, hey, man, here's what you need to expect because we're going to try to keep this one close. This isn't going to be the offense that you would play in. I mean, I, I just don't – I mean, I don't know that you play up-tempo because I think you got to you got to try to shorten this game uh, a little bit because uh, I don't think you feel like defensively you can stop this offense. I think – I saw you post it in the, in the chat. and I mean, I think, I think it's a horrible matchup, just a horrible matchup for, for Tennessee. With, a you know, a veteran quarterback who super smart – Good decision maker, a freak in pits, and the problems Tennessee's had in, in covering the, the middle of the field. I mean, and th- and this goes back to the point you've been making for a while about the need to score in this league. I was doing a little, you know, started, you know, looking ahead, doing the matchup piece and looking at, at Florida this week and just noticed there are six teams in the SEC averaging 30 plus points a game this year. I bet, I, I bet that's a record. I don't know that it is because I, I didn't go back and do the research. But, and there was almost three teams averaging 40 because Alabama's at 48, Florida's at 43, and um, Ole Miss is at 39.8. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, to the point you've been making, you can't – you're not winning games 17 to 13 in this league. You better be able to, to ding the scoreboard up. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing, Austin, how quickly it changes because we're not that far removed from 10-9, you know, or whatever that, that LSU – Alabama national title thing game six was. to three was six it? three or whatever that thing was I mean that's not that long ago um but but this league is vastly different and you better find ways to score um because it's hard to keep teams from scoring and if you're going to do that you better be ball control try to play a little bit like Kentucky has wanted to play and see if you can hang around and and almost you know shorten the game as much as you can and be as perfect as you can with every limited opportunity that you get offensively. That, that's why this matchup is so bad. I mean, Kyle Trask a year ago torched Tennessee in the middle of the football field a year ago. And Tennessee was much better covering the middle of the football field a year ago than they are now. And was and Trask, that his first start? Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. And, and yeah. He, he lit Tennessee up in the middle. The old, the old saying, this is not your grandfather's Alabama or this is not your grandfather's Tennessee, this isn't your younger brother's SEC. I mean, like that, that that's what it boils down to. It, it has changed in, in a matter of just a few years. Um, just, you know, I, to your point on, you know, the low scoring Alabama LSU game, look at last year's Alabama LSU game, scored in the 40s. I mean, it's just, this kind of is what it is now. That's what the way college football's played. It's played more like uh, Andy Kelly throwing to Corey Fleming and the old Nashville Cats Arena League. And even more, I mean, when you think about that LSU-Alabama game, think about how many defensive players were drafted from those two teams last year. I mean, it wasn't like those were, were poorest defenses. and right. They had some studs. Yeah, they, they certainly certainly did have that. And um, 
it is it has changed dramatically uh, for for sure. Big picture, college football, big picture. What do you think this playoff thing is going to look like? I mean, it, it doesn't feel like the Big Ten is going to have anybody eligible for the playoff, are they? I, I, I posed this question on the nation to Pat Dooley from, from Gainesville on Sunday. If Ohio State does not meet the standard, and, and Pat, you know, believes that they'll finagle their way and pick up a game to be able to meet the standard. I don't disagree with that. I don't think – but let's, let's say they don't. And then somehow Clemson beats – I know this is a lot of what-ifs. Clemson beats or sorry Notre Dame beats Clemson a second time around Clemson's got two losses and then somehow Florida can outscore Alabama in the title game and then you've got three SEC teams sitting there with one loss they've all beat each other and no Big Ten participant because none of those teams qualified whether it be one win-loss record or number of games played Clemson's got two losses and then of course nobody from the Big 12 or the Pac-10 you got a potential for three SEC teams. This is, they'd, be, they'd be handing out some fast not, TV like checks it, it, in Destin. While you've got to have a few things fall into place for that to happen, this isn't like, you know, option Z and, and, and Y and all these different things have to have happen. That's not too far-fetched. Yeah, I agree with Pat, though. I think the Big Ten gets Ohio State another game, and that's a, that's a big fat check. If you're a playoff team again, if I'm Michigan, if I'm Michigan, <laughs> I'm coveting up next week <laughs> just to stick it to Ohio State. Here's here's what's interesting with the Big Ten. They they haven't shuffled their, you know, the SEC granted the commissioner this this autonomy to shuffle, you know, to to shuffle to try to ensure more games for everybody. That hasn't happened in the Big Ten. You know, and with a with a with a conference schedule with with little wiggle room in terms of open dates and extra weekends, I'm I'm surprised they haven't done more reshuffling in the Big Ten. Okay, we get we get you guys a game this week against so with this team because so and so's out. You know, we'll we'll make something happen this way. Um, you know, they're gonna make Nebraska play Ohio State a second time just for just for <laughs> just for pissing off the people. And- but 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 they haven't they haven't they haven't worked anything to try to it doesn't seem like or feel like to try to get you know extra games in there or or, or to okay we're going to move you here because it makes more sense because we can pick up this game later or or whatever. I don't um, think they thought about it, Brent. I don't think they. I, I think that they the whole time they weren't playing, they weren't playing, they weren't playing. Then they realized, oh crap, we're going to get left behind, and then it was just kind of just throw it out there and see what happens. Same thing with the Pac-12. But they've adjusted. Like, they've adjusted a little bit in the Pac-12. Yeah, they have. They, they, well, they, yeah, they're, they're playing games recent. at nine a.m. Brent. I mean, like, no, but they, <laughs> but they, you know, they moved the, you know, Utah here, and the, I mean, they they moved a couple of games around to make it happen. It's, the Big Ten's just not done any of that. It seems like it um, just means more. <laughs> it does in the SEC, that's for sure. And for Tennessee, um, it, it means it means a lot for Tennessee fans because they want to see some promise and they want to see some hope. And we'll see if Tennessee can give the their, that fan base that on Saturday as Harrison Bailey appears to be poised to get his start. Austin, we feel like Tennessee is going to be pretty – if as long as testing goes okay, maybe some guys don't have any practice. They may not be in the greatest condition or, or get mo- greatest game shape, but it does feel like they're going to be o- okay in terms of numbers compared to what it looked like late last week. Yeah, I think all the defensive guys that were out due to contact tracing should be back Saturday. I think they may miss a few guys on the offensive side who, again, were are not, you know, are still going to be in that 14-day window. Um, I don't know if, how many people listened to the 
the, the two minute drill we did, but the contact tracing dates back 48 hours from either symptom onset or your positive test. So like, let's say player X tests positive on Sunday, you go back 48 hours, you know, that could be Friday at four o'clock. Well, let's say, you know, let's just throw out names. You know, actually, I'm not going to throw out names. I don't think that's fair because they'll think I'm being real about who it is. But let's say player Y is around the positive player for 15 minutes on Friday. Well, that's when his his uh, 14-day window for contact tracing would begin. It would not be when the positive test happened. It would be when he spent the time. So that would put him back at 4 o'clock this Friday. And so um, I think Tennessee said to get most everybody back. There'll be, there'll be a few not there. You know, he mentioned two positives. The one positive uh, will be back uh, for this game because that's a 10-day quarantine. And then the uh, providing he can pass all the cardiovascular stuff. And then the second positive, which did not take place till uh, later in the week last week, will not be back this week. So – We'll see. Maybe Friday afternoon. It may be Saturday morning for some guys when their contact tracing expires. But it does appear many like, guys will be, will be back. And again, we're not going to mention names because I don't think that's fair to everybody. But like these are veteran type guys that like to me don't necessarily have to have the practice to go out and play. Like they they know mentally what has to happen. They can see the game plan. You know, I, I think that it's it's less of an impact on some of those vets than it would be if it was. A younger kid that's that'll be interesting to watch for sure plenty of things to talk about the rest of this week plenty of discussion on the general's quarters we'll talk more about some basketball as that season gets ready to get started next week obviously tennessee and florida this week we'll have the uh, mailbag podcast coming up for you on thursday but that's going to do it for this tuesday edition of the podcast presented by our good friends at blue water climate control be sure and check them out at bluewatercliматecontrol.com for austin price and rob lewis i'm brent hubs thanks for joining us have a great rest of your tuesday everybody